Okay, so we are, um, this is the second to last Hebrews 11 uh, sermon I think that we're going to do. We're gonna actually going to finish out the uh, book on December 31st, which will be fitting because we've been kind of meandering through it this whole year. But uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, as we kick off this morning, I'm going to talk about something that I know very little about. I'm going to talk about coffee. Any coffee fans in the house? Like some coffee lovers, I guess probably everybody uh, loves coffee. So the the point that I want to make, though, is, I mean, coffee is a thing. It's pretty straightforward. It's coffee beans, it's water, and then you get the drink, right? Coffee is coffee, but it but it's not. It's not. Um, different cultures, different peoples, all throughout the world will take coffee, and they will contextualize it to their particular preferences and tastes. So coffee that you drink in America is different than coffee that you drink in Germany. It's different than coffee that you drink in Mozambique, right? Coffee can look and smell and taste a lot of different ways. Here's a couple examples, and uh, you guys can correct me if, if I'm wrong here, but I did a little research this week, and uh, here's the deal. Uh, there's a thing called French, French roast. Anybody like French roast? Here's what French roast is. It's a uh, dark roasted coffee characterized by an intense and smoky sweet flavor. Doesn't that sound good? Right? I think probably the reason why it's called French roast is because that style of coffee probably uh, started to develop specifically in France. And it probably developed there because the French, by and large, not every French man or French woman liked it this way, but generally, culturally, it seems as if the French like their coffee dark roasted and characterized by an intense smoky sweet flavor, right? But it isn't just French roast, there's also Italian roast. Italian roast is different than French roast. Italian roast is a bolder flavor with a thicker texture. French roast is a little thinner, Italian roast bolder and thicker. Um, if you were to go to Mexico and drink a cup of coffee, it is actually quite common that you would have your coffee with a cinnamon stick in it because the cinnamon flavor just tends to, I don't know why, but do something for people of Mexican descent. It's a very common way to drink coffee in Mexico. In America, culturally and historically, uh, I guess what I've read this week is that Americans tend to prefer just a, a simple drip with uh, cream and sugar. And that's not how every American takes it, but that's how culturally we generally, as Americans, we like a simple drip with cream and sugar. So, so what people all over the world do is they take something as simple as coffee and they will bend it and steer it and shift it and change it to be something that's more palatable for their particular palate, for the way that they like it. And if we could, and we don't have time to do it this morning, if we could just get a private jet, if we could spend the next two days just skipping all over the earth, just tasting coffee in different countries and different places, we would be able to tell that coffee indeed is contextualized to the locality and to the people who like their coffee a certain way. Okay, now that's the introduction. Here's my point. We don't just contextualize things to our liking regarding coffee. We do it with everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. We take, just think of something in your brain. Think of whatever that thing is. Like different peoples throughout the world will take that thing that you thought of and we will contextualize it to the way that we like it according to where we are and what our culture is like. 
We take everything and we contextualize it to our particular liking, including Jesus. Somebody said it, yeah. Including Jesus. There's a way that we like to receive Jesus and to hear about him and to, right, there's a style of Jesus that we are really excited about, but there's some maybe parts of Jesus that we don't like to hear about, we don't like to lean into, and we don't like to... Um, we don't particularly enjoy, right? So Jesus in the gospel can be contextualized. We'll call it the gospel Americano. It's the way we like it. And it's a real thing. And it's good to be, this is not to criticize us as Americans, but it is good to be aware of who we are and how we like things so that we're just aware, right? Because I think it opens our eyes to maybe some dangers that we're more liable and susceptible to. Okay, so we're going to lean into that in just a second. So um, from this point on, we're going to talk about some things that you don't like. So the hospitality team has been instructed to lock the doors. And, uh, and we've got some people up here at the front doors. You're locked in at this point, right? We're going to go some places you don't want, but you can't get out. I'm just kidding. You can, but please don't. Because I think we need, to, we need to lean in where we're going this uh, week in Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, before we go into where we're going to go this week, I have to remind us where we were last week, which is why the balloons are here with me um, this morning. Okay, last week, if you weren't here, I'm just going to summarize it for us. Uh, we were in Hebrews again, and here was the idea that we looked at. This is actually what the uh, writer of Hebrews was explaining to us. That all through the Old Testament, uh, that there were um, average to below average people. And I will be and am a great representation of an average to a below average person. Okay, so I will be that person. And, um, and what the Lord has done for eons is to take below average people and to call these individuals into a relationship with him by faith where we actually trust him and believe him and hear him and then at that point are able to receive power from him and then all through the Old Testament, the story is, is that God, plus these below average people, were able to do, and here's where the balloons come in, they were able to do extraordinary things. Okay, and I guarantee you, last night when I bought these balloons, um, the, the arrangement looked a lot better. In the back of my pickup truck, they got all knotted together and they scrunched, okay? But they're, they're supposed to be waving and kind of like dancing with a five-foot leader here, but they got compacted. It is what it is. We're just going to go with it. Okay. So, but, but this is like the finish line celebration, balloons, confetti, applause, like, yeah, it's happened. Right. So below average people, God calls them into relationship. He, he breathes some sort of vision or mission into their hearts and by faith, they trust him with it. And then over time, these things that God has called them to get accomplished okay it's really cool it's it's the story of the old testament scriptures that's what god loves to do he loves to come alongside just normal people and do extraordinary things okay now just just to pause for a second as americans we love that story we we're all in for that story we could go to the christian bookstore and we could find books on average to below average people that God breathed a dream into them and they trusted him by faith. And then, right, and then the thing happens, the extraordinary thing, and we love that 
narrative. That will sell, that will, if you're in church, that will preach. If you've got a YouTube channel, that will get you clicks. As Americans, we love the fact that God could, might, will, wants to do extraordinary things in us, among us, and through us. Okay, we're all in for that. Now, here's where things get dangerous for us. Because like, this, is, this is the sum total of what we talked about last week. What we did not talk about last week, right, where we got average to below average people, and then these amazing things that they did, the part of the equation that we absolutely missed was what happens between here and there. And between here, that's us, whoever, like, and all of our averageness, us, and then the extraordinary things that God will do through us, there's this wide gap of space here that we were just silent on. We didn't address it. We didn't even like tip a hat to it. We just, we just ignored it because, because we're getting there now. And now here, I want to read for you the verses of what happens in between average people, extraordinary results. Here we go. You ready? Hebrews chapter 11 Starting in verse 35, second half of verse 35. Actually, I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to read the awesome here real quick just to make sure that we're on the same page, right? He lists these average to below average people who we talked about last week. And he says this in verse 33. Um, And these people, here's what they did. Who through faith conquered kingdoms. Right? That's, that's balloon celebration worthy. If, if you're able to conquer a kingdom that needs conquered, balloons. That's a good destination to get to. They enforced justice, right? Who doesn't want justice more appropriately enforced right now? Like that's a thing to celebrate. In addition, they obtained promises, big promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. That's pretty cool, Daniel. Great story. That's a balloon, confetti, Horns and clapping celebration destination. Verse 34, they quenched the power of the fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight against all odds. We love that story. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And at this point, we're all saying, sign me up, God. Sign me up. I want that too. Okay, now... The writer of Hebrews is going to tell us what it's going to take to get there. Okay? Here we go. Second half of verse 35. Here's the process and the path forward. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others of these average people that did extraordinary things, others of them suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That's not how we want it. We don't like this. 
If we knew last week that this is where we were going this week, last week wouldn't have been as fun, wouldn't have been as exciting, wouldn't have grabbed our hearts maybe so assertively and aggressively. We don't like this. And I think, again, this is not a criticism. This is like, I'm an American too. I like it a certain way. This is not to condemn us or to criticize us. This is just to point out our flaws and our chinks in the army, things in chinks in the armor, things we need to be aware of so that we actually can start to step into the things that God has for us, right? We just need to be aware. We don't like these verses. We don't like this being the path in the middle from where we go to accomplish all the cool things that God wants us to accomplish, right? And if we're honest, there is a way that we do want the pathway to unfold. And the way that we want the pathway to unfold is, um, we'll call it the Acts chapter 2 pathway, right? Because there is, there is another pathway that the scriptures describe that's very different than the one that the writer of Hebrews just described, which is very difficult, like torture and imprisonment, beatings and floggings and running for your life in caves and dens and wearing the skins of goats and sheep, right? There's a different path, and, and it's described in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, what we have, same, similar pattern to what we see in the Old Testament, we see a bunch of average to below average individuals. Like when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, hey guys, just remember, not many of you by earthly standards were anything significant. He just has to remind them because sometimes we get a little prideful in and of ourselves and Paul has to say, guys, check it. None of you were like leading Rome. None of you were like, just remember who you were. You were just average people, right? Um, but in Acts chapter 2, these average people who are trusting in the Lord and who are connecting to him by faith, what we're seeing in Acts chapter 2 is an explosive growth of the kingdom of Jesus. We've got like 3,000 people coming into the kingdom like per day. We've got signs and wonders breaking out. It's like, wow, this is fantastic. And in Acts chapter 2, like the process by which these very average people are seeing God do extraordinary things, it's, it's the kind of process that we like. Acts chapter 2, verse 47, right? So all these average people are doing these amazing things as God empowers them. And Acts 2, 42 says this is how it's going down right? Um, they're praising God and they're having favor with all the people. That's how we want it. We want God to do amazing things. We all just want to praise him as he's doing these things. And we want to have the world saying to us, you guys are awesome. Thank you. We see you. We respect you. We honor you. We're excited that you're here, right? Having favor as it says, having favor with all the people, that's how we like it. Now, I just want to say this. Um, praise the Lord for Acts chapter 2. And praise him for the times when he gives us favor with the world. That is a beautiful thing. That is a gift that we ought to receive. It would be foolish for us. If the Lord is laying out a pathway for us as individuals, as a church, as a whatever, where he takes us average people, connects us to him by faith, does extraordinary things, and he gives us a pathway of favor, it would be foolish for us to forsake that pathway of favor and go try to find a way to make it more difficult because we want to be in Hebrews chapter 11. That would be utterly stupid. 
We ought not do that. Take the path that the Lord gives you. And if he's giving us Acts chapter 2 in this season, then run with it and say, thank you, Lord. Right? But it's not always like that. Sometimes, in fact, it's not regularly like that. Let me give you an illustration from the farm here. Um, It's just, we're just like completing, we just completed harvest season in our property. We got fruit trees all over the place. And let me tell you, there's two different ways to harvest fruit. Um, The first is when the fruit just becomes ripe on the tree. And at that point, you could walk out the back door and say, oh, I feel like uh, maybe a pink lady apple. And you go to the pink lady apple tree and you walk up and the tree's loaded with fruit. And then all you have to do is just like walk up to the tree. And then there's varying branches that are like just out they're just like doing their branch thing. And then I can walk right up to the edge of one of those branches. I can select a perfect apple and it's perfectly like at eyeball height. And I just have to lift my hand and pull the fruit and then I can walk away and I can eat it. That's easy harvest. Praise the Lord for easy harvest, right? But now later in the season, after like all my kids and all the other kids that hang out on our property have picked all the trees bare, right? At that point, then... There's no easy harvest. All the ones that are on the edges of the trees that are right there and perfectly formed and no um, blemishes on them, all of those have been picked through. And then what you're left with are the apples that are like pretty high up. And so at that point then, what you have to do is recognize this isn't going to be a favorable experience. I want the fruit, but it's going to take me a little more. And so at that point, then you have to like navigate your way through all the branches. And some of these things are pretty pokey. They don't feel very good when you catch one in the eye, but you got to go through it. And you got to work your way into the tree. And then you either got to climb the tree to get up there to get them, or you got to shake the tree and then take cover because fruit's coming down. And it doesn't feel good when it hits you on the head. But then after the fruit comes down, then you got to get down on your hands and knees underneath these branches and start picking the fruit up off of the ground. It's a very different experience than walking out there for the first fruits and just grabbing the one at eyeball level and eating it on your way back inside. It's a lot more work. There's a lot more poking. There's a lot more prodding. There's a lot more climbing, shaking, and crawling on your hands and knees. We'll call that more like Hebrews 11 experience. Acts chapter 2. They're receiving the first fruits. Jesus has just died. He's just resurrected. He's then ascended to the right hand of the Father. The Spirit has come. And now, right, it's all these people that um, I think were favorable to receiving the good news but just weren't quite sure. Now they're seeing signs and wonders that say, oh, yeah. This, Jesus was the Messiah. And then thousands of people are coming in. It's like the fruit on the easy picking part of the tree. And they're getting it. And they're enjoying it in Acts chapter 2. And that we want to celebrate. And say when that happens we say thank you Jesus. But as the book of Acts moves on. All the things that the writer in Hebrews 11 is describing. Well the, the early church will experience all of those things. The fruit harvesting is going to get more and more and more difficult. We must be cautious here and recognize that there is a way that we want it. But we can't always have it the way we want it. You can get your coffee however you want it. But you can't always get Jesus in the kingdom in the way that we want it. Okay. Now I want us to talk about several things, uh, but here's where I want us to start. I want us to recognize that there's a difference between, um, we're going to call it self-actualization and self-sacrifice. 
Those are two very different things. And I think God is about both of them. But there's a categorical difference between self-actualization and self-sacrifice. Self-actualization is, the th- is one of those things that we love. It's the idea, and we talk about it when we talk about the four things that God made us for. He made us for a whole and healthy self, right? And that is absolutely true. Um, when God made us, he had a dream and a vision of a fully formed human being that would fully bear his image, and he was wildly excited about making each of us. Now, sin, sin stain, and taintedness, and brokenness, and getting beaten by a, a, an ugly world has marred that image in us. We're not all that we were made to be. We're not doing all the things that God has called us to be. But part of discipleship is self-actualization. It's God growing us and healing our hearts and growing us out of our patterns of dysfunction and sin and starting to walk in wholeness and holiness. And it's a beautiful thing when a human being becomes more fully in touch with and who, like more fully who God has made them to be. We'll call that self-actualization. And again, we love that. We, like in the American church right now, if you want to talk about identity, like you're going to get some clicks. It's a big deal. And it should be. It's very important for us to recognize that we have an identity in Jesus and he's calling us to more. Bigger, better, more, wholeness, healing, more. Celebrate that. High five that. That's a good thing. But just recognize that that's what we like to hear. Self-actualization. That book's going to sell. But on the other side... Right? We're also called to self-sacrifice, to taking up our cross and dying daily, to laying our lives down for the sake of others so that they actually might be lifted up and built up. Right? Now, just, just be honest. I'm being honest with you. I like the self-actualization piece. I don't necessarily like to die. I don't enjoy that process. I don't get up in the morning thinking, can't wait to see how the Lord's going to call me to die today so that I can experience an excruciating death to myself. That doesn't get me out of bed necessarily. Like, I, I hope someday it does, that my heart would be shifted. I'm just telling you, gospel Americano, I, don't, I like the self-actualization, I don't like the self-sacrifice. And we're probably all very similar in that. If you want to attract French people, make a French roast. If you want to attract Italians to the party, make an Italian roast. If you want to make the Mexicans feel like this is their place, put some cinnamon sticks in the coffee. If you want the Americans to show up, do a drip and put in sugar and cream. We all like it a certain way. But the danger in the way that we like Jesus is that we will only lean into self-actualization We will refuse to lean into self-sacrifice. And then here's what we miss. Hebrews chapter 11. All of these amazing stories of overcoming, victorious, kingdom-conquering, mouths of lions shutting, all the amazing things. The writer of Hebrews is very clear that the pathway of average normal people trusting by faith in Jesus, walking towards these amazing things, the pathway that the Hebrews writer lays out is one of dying and death and self-sacrifice and imprisonment and floggings and being destitute and hiding in dens and in caves wearing skins of sheep and goats. 
So the writer of Hebrews, I think if, if he or she were here this morning, they would say, the pathway for you to become the self-actualized person who by faith is knowing and hearing from God and trusting him, the pathway of you walking in and towards all the things that God has made for you, it is the pathway of self-sacrifice. You cannot have self-actualization without dying to yourself. They, they, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. Like they just, they're, they're brother and sister. They, they click in and they're inseparable from one another. But I don't know if we like to hear that. I don't know if I like to hear that. But the writer of Hebrews is inviting us to deeply hear that. There is a difference between self-actualization and self-sacrifice. There's also a difference between um, living a life according to feelings, and then we're going to invent a new word. Is that okay? Can we invent a new word this morning? There's a difference between living your life dictated by your feelings and then living a life that's dictated by faithings. Do you see what I did there? Is that cool? Okay. Feelings. Feelings are valid. Things happen in life, relationships happen, and we were made by God in such a way that we feel them because God feels things too. And we can't control our feelings. They are. They are valid. Like our feelings are what they are and okay. The danger with feelings is that we would live a life that is dictated and governed by our feelings. Because God doesn't invite us to do that. He, he wants us to acknowledge them and to work through them and to be honest about them. But he doesn't want our lives to be governed and dictated by them. He wants our lives to be governed and dictated by faithing. Which means that when all the things happen around us and we feel a certain way about that, well, instead of just acting according to feeling, we say, all right, now this is how I'm feeling, but who is God? Lean into that. Who is he? And what is he saying to me regarding how I should behave and act and decide with these feelings regarding this situation and circumstance that I'm in? And faithing will drive us to do very, very different things than feelings, right? Here's just a, here's a hyperbole example of the difference where feelings and faithings will drive you. If you live your life purely based on your feelings and you make decisions out of them, then here's what's going to happen to pretty much all of us. Um, At some point, we will leave our spouse. We will kick our kids out of the house. Like, be gone with you, young one. Go find somewhere else to live. We will be unemployed because we just can't put up with all the rigors and difficulties of a vocational life because sometimes it's hard and it doesn't feel good. And if we live our lives based on our feelings, then every single one of our neighbors is going to have a bloody nose because at some point they just irritate us, don't they? And we'll just... Bam. Why'd you do that? Well, I felt like it. And I live my life based on my feelings. If we live and decide and act out according to our feelings alone, our lives become an absolute train wreck. Yes or yes. But the person, right, the feeling person and the faithing person, they can have the same external stimuli. Same marriage, same kids, same work, same neighbors, same, 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 same. But they will choose not to divorce their spouse. 
They will decide not to kick their kids out of the house. They will go to work even when it's difficult. Maybe from now time to time you've got to change jobs. That's okay, but you're going to keep pressing in. And then number four, you're not going to punch your neighbors in the nose all the time. Why? Because we know who God is and he doesn't want us to do those things. And in the difficult circumstances, those who live by faith see him and trust him and hear from him. And he gives us a different pathway forward than all the things that I just described according to feelings. Feelings and faithings will lead us to very different places. Um, Faithing will allow us to go into and stay in hard places. What do you mean hard places? Well, I mean I mean hard places. Like some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Like they were tortured and they refused to accept release, willing to go into torture and willing to stay there. That's not a feeling decision, that's a faithing decision. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even in chains and imprisonment. They chose into that. Feelings won't allow you to do that, but faithing will. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. Feelings will drive you away from those things. Faithing may cause you to run towards them. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. And that doesn't feel good to us, and we're going to run out of whatever we were doing to make us receive that from other people. We will recant, we will relent, we will give up on Jesus, we will go with the crowd if we're going according to feelings. But faithing will allow us to enter into this place and stay there, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, right? Faithing will allow us to lean into these places and to stay in these places, even when our feelings say, what are you doing here? Because in this place, we see God and we hear from him and he's saying, I got you, I'm with you. Ah, I see you and we're going somewhere and something's coming, but you're just going to have to linger in this hard space for a while. Just trust me here. It's interesting. Uh, I don't have a timer in the back, so I'm just going to go for a long time. I have no idea how long I've gone. Um, but um, I was introduced to um, uh, two individuals. One is a neuroscientist who does a lot of studies on the human brain. And then this neuroscientist who studies the human brain in a lot of different ways um, got acquainted with this former Navy SEAL who's like um, this this tough guy, just like overcomer, achiever, incredible person. And this neuroscientist has a lab where he brings people in to study them. Um, And he he invited this ex-Navy SEAL in because he wanted to get a, a brain scan in his clinic where he could like measure different things. But here was the study that the neuroscientist was doing. He wanted to, to analyze the brains of different people as they were experiencing external stimuli regarding fear. Okay? And we'll call, we'll call that just like, it's, it's like a difficult place to be. Like when you are being externally stimulated with fear stimuli, we'll call that a hard place. And, uh, and he brought this guy in because he wanted to see what his brain looked like and what his brain did as compared to like normal people. And so this guy comes in and, um, and he's got like a room assembled of people who are going to go through this study. And, uh, but interesting thing is this former Navy SEAL wasn't always like this super duper guy. Um, at one point in his life, he was greatly and obesely overweight. He was aimless. Um, he was a kind of the couch sitter video game playing do nothing kind of guy. 
and then like our brains are malleable. Yes, God made them that way. And then something shifted in his brain. He chose into different patterns. And then he became the Navy SEAL. He actually, for a period of time, had the pull-up record of most amount of pull-ups in a 24-hour period. Like that's in the world. That's pretty amazing. So he went from like super underachiever, not doing anything guy, to becoming this incredible overachiever. And this, again, neuroscientists wanted to study his brain. So here's the deal. They're going to bring all these individuals into their fear stimuli room and see how each individual's brain responded differently to the stimuli. And uh, the Navy SEAL walks in and uh, this, this center where they study the brain, they have all sorts of like different modes of scaring people. There's like video and there's sound. They're surrounded by this immersive high stimuli room and they can scare you with a bunch of different things like heights. They can scare you with like scenes of war Um, all sorts of like sharks, um, all things that people are afraid of, they can like simulate that around you and it really gets a response in your brain. And so this neuroscientist is explaining this to all the people in the room that each individual is going to go through one at a time. And then um, interesting thing, this Navy SEAL um, stood up in the room because it was time to like start like getting people to go back. The Navy SEAL stands up, walks up to the neuroscientist and says this. He says um, two things. One, I don't like sharks. Number two, I'm going first. Now, the average person, if they were to say that in this scenario, here's what that means from most of us. I don't like sharks means don't give me the external stimuli of sharks. I don't want that. The neuroscientist in this podcast that I listened to was explaining, he said, that's how most of us would interpret that. But he said, once I saw this guy's brain scan and once I I, I understood his life, here's what he was saying. I don't like sharks. Give me the sharks. Bring it on. And I want to go now. Right? Average person says, don't give me sharks. And I want to go later. No sharks. I'm going last. This guy says, I don't like sharks, meaning give them to me, and I want to go now. And this neuroscientist said, what this guy, who used to be an obesely overweight, couch-sitting, aimless, do-nothing guy, has become this iconic example of get up out of bed and accomplish something, do some amazing things. He said he has rewired his brain, and one of the ways that he has done that is any time he sees or experiences fear regarding something, his first inclination, he has trained himself to say, that's the thing I want to do. I'm afraid of this. That's the thing I want to do. I don't want to get up and run this morning, so that's what I'm going to do. It's a very different way of posturing your mind and your person regarding how most of us live our lives. But here's the idea, right? This guy has discovered this. If you, as a below average person, want to get to the place where you are exceptional, right, then you're going to have to choose into and linger in difficult spaces that you don't want to be in. You're going to have to do that. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to choose in and you're going to have to stay in. All of your feelings are saying, let me out. I don't want to do any more pull-ups. I don't want any more sharks. Let me out. But you have to tap into something else that says, no, this is the right place for me to be. And the Lord invites us out of feelings into faith things so that we can linger in this hard middle ground so that we can actually get to the places that he longs for us 
to get. One last example of some, like, the difference between feelings and faithings and how if we live according to feelings, we will become train wrecks, okay? Um, let's talk about money for a second. Um, if you live your investing life based on feelings, here's what you will do. And, and the research and the data shows this, that most people who in, choose to try to invest in the stock market are utterly incapable of it and horrible at it because we go by feelings. Here's the idea. Let's say the stock market is at an all-time high. Just for the sake of round numbers, let's say it's at $100. And when the stock market, this isn't, just go with me. When the stock market gets to $100, everybody starts to get excited about it. When everybody gets excited about it, everybody starts talking about it. At the parties, cocktail party, in the workplace. Hey, did you get that stock? Hey, I bought this stock. Hey, I made this much. Everybody, everybody, newspaper articles. Oh, the stock market is awesome. Okay? And what that does is it creates a bunch of feelings among a whole nation of people. And they say, "Woo, hot dog. Stock market's good. I'm feeling good about the stock market. And then, like, everybody starts buying stocks. Everybody, like Aunt Matilda, your little three-year-old nephew, Timothy, everybody's buying stocks because everybody's feeling good about it, okay? So we'll buy the stock at $100. And then over time, everything works in cycles that that $100 stock market then crashes down to $5. And when the stock market is at a $5 low, everybody's feeling very different about it. And when we're feeling bad about the stock market, what do we do? What do we do? We sell, right? And that is how your average person engages with investments, according to feeling. I buy when I'm feeling good about the stock market. I sell when I'm feeling bad about the stock market. And what happens? You just took your $100 and you turned it into five. Oh, friends, that's not investing. That's moving in the wrong direction, right? But what the good investors do is they have a countenance about them that allows them to buy the stock when it's at $5 and everybody else is freaking out. And then what they do is then when it rises to $100, they're able to sell it when everybody says, no, buy. They're able to go against the feelings of everybody else because they're able to stand in the uncomfortable middle where they're buying in a place where it's hard to buy and they're selling in a place where it's hard to sell. Would you rather buy at 100 and sell at 5 or buy at 5 and sell at 100? But our feelings will always betray us. The Lord invites us out of a life of feelings into a life of faithing. Faithing whether you're getting up in the morning for your run or your workout, or whether you're choosing to invest when everybody else says, no, this is terrible, run. We're trusting Jesus when the sky seems to be falling. Faithing. It looks terrible, it feels scary. But that's the time to lean in and to stay there. Um, Band, come on back up. I'm afraid I'm afraid that the American church will just be the Americano version of church because that's how we like it. We just want Acts chapter 2. You can keep the Hebrews 11 hard stuff. The self-actualization doesn't happen without self-sacrifice. It's the pattern 
that Jesus has set up for us. I am tempted to do what I saw a ministry do in my college years. I remember uh, campus ministry put on an event, and at the event, um, they purchased a mountain bike. And all through the week, they would say, hey, come to this event, because we're going to raffle off a mountain bike. And uh, like, oh, dang, like that's, something felt weird about it. But I went, and, um, you know, we walked in, and the bike was like right there up on the table so everybody could see it. And the raffle was going to be at the end of the event, so don't leave until the raffle's over. And like, I don't know how many people were there for Jesus or how many people were there for the bike, but there's this like idea that we got to like, we got to like lower the bar to give people Jesus. We got to like make this place as comfortable as we can. And we got to get like a coffee bar out there with all the French roasts and Italian roasts and the Americanos and the cinnamon sticks. And we got to, we got to do all the things because we want this place to be a place that we like. And I think like every church struggles with that. We want to give it out in the way that we think people want it. But I think when we read passages like Hebrews 11, like where um, God isn't giving it the way people like it, but there's something about lingering in this middle space that is beautiful when we know who he is and where he's leading us to. And I think, I just wonder if we need to stop catering to people and maybe just start saying, hey guys, Here's the truth. You want to follow Jesus? You want to serve him? You want to see amazing things happen? Well, you, you might have to receive some torture. And then wouldn't it be cool if you refused to be released even if they offered it to you? That's Hebrews 11 faith. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. Sign me up. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. I wonder if instead of catering to people and giving it just how we like it, if maybe we need to start actually like calling each of us, including myself, into the hard middle whereby Average people can experience self-actualization hand-in-hand with self-sacrifice and then actually see God do. And so here's, here's an example. I'm just going to throw this out there. We've got a kids' ministry downstairs, and what we've done over the years is we've said, hey, come join us in kids' ministry. You only have to serve once every three months. And uh, there will be a bike raffle after every Sunday. Maybe you'll win. And you like coffee, we'll get you whatever kind of coffee you want. We'll get you the latte macchiato espresso double steamer i don't know come come join us downstairs we'll make it easy i don't i don't think that that's i don't think that works so here we're going to go we're going to do it a different way and i'll just announce it this sunday and then hopefully we'll be done um in each service 9 and 10 40 uh, we're looking for four people four per service if you got like a group of friends like, we'll give you priority because we like it when people serve together with their peeps. Sometimes you serve with people who aren't your peeps and they become your people. We're looking for four people per service who for the next six months will commit to being with those kids every single Sunday. Unless you're sick and unless you're on vacation. Um, but if you're in town and you're not, like, 
needing to not sneeze on somebody and give them something bad. We're just gonna, like, we want you, we want you to sign up. We've done so many sign-ups where we say, hey, sign up. We get 25 people to sign up and then nobody responds. We, it's not working. Four people, six months. And we're gonna ask you to uh, just pour your life out. Everybody wants to be self-actualized. But recognize that doesn't happen without self-sacrifice. We got a bunch of kids who just need people to love them and speak life into them just to come alongside and to see them, talk about Jesus with them. And we're not going to make it easy anymore. We just need four per service. Uh, cool thing. So Jake and Kaylee Karam have just signed on in this next season. They're going to be like our interim kids uh, ministry directors. And we want to make sure we can surround them with enough help that they actually can run this race a little bit and have some endurance because they've got a lot of things going on. Jake and Kaylee are awesome. Um, they actually lived in my basement for a year. They lived in a, ca- in a cave, in a den, in Megan in my basement while they were trying to get out of debt. Love it. Super people. You will love them. Um, we're looking for some people who are ready to sacrifice. If that's you, just um, what to do. Come see me after the service. You're not signing up for it. You're just saying, I'm interested, considering it. We'll go to the back table. We'll just write your name down. And uh, let's take up the call to self-sacrifice. If, if that's not you, if kids isn't your thing, don't worry about it. But for some of you, it's time to self-actualize as you are self-sacrificing. Because I think that's the path. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for loving us, for being good. Thanks for the courage that you have to call us into things that we don't want because you are gracious enough to give us things that we think are too good for us. So we trust you. And Father, I pray that you would shift our hearts and our brains, that you would allow us to be people who stop feeling and start faithing. God, we want to feel all the things that is good and right and appropriate. We want to process them. But Father, we want to see you speak to us in the midst of all the things going on. And we want to lock in with you, even in the hard places. And we want to trust you there because that's where you do your work. That's where you grow us. And that's where victory in this world through your kingdom comes. So make us these people, we pray in Jesus' name.